welcome back for another week of the Lionel Messi of Argentine Football Podcasts. This is Hand of Pod. Contradicted because we are the only Argentine football podcast around, of course, which means that we're by default the best, uh, by arguably an even larger margin than Lionel Messi is the best, um, as he demonstrates again today. Um, it's Wednesday evening. I'm Sam Kelly. I'm recording today with Andres Bruckner. Hi. And with Santiago Munyagorria. Hello, everyone. Who today is, for the first time, recording Hunter Pod as a married man. Congratulations, Santi. Thank you, everyone. Oh, it's clink glasses, but yours are plastic, so I don't know anybody will hear that, but there you go. That bouncing sound is, is the clink of our glasses. Um, a glass containing alcohol bought for us by the Argentina Independent, our wonderful sponsors. A fine source of English language news and cultural stuff and lots of other things from Argentina and across Latin America, and that noise that you heard in the background there was my tap doing a little sort of ghost running thing. Um, with no further, without further ado, let's get on with the scores from the weekend just gone. Fifteen of them to get through. So here we go: Crucero del Norte nil, Olimpo de Bahia Blanca nil, Racing Club four, Colón de Santa Fe one, Banfield three, San Martín de San Juan two, Boca Juniors two, Defensa Justicia one, Unión de Santa Fe one, Independiente one. Sarmiento 1, Newell's Old Boys 2, Quilmes 2, Vélez Sarsfield 1, Argentinos Juniors 2, Estudiantes de la Plata 2, Tigre 2, Atlético de Rafaela 1, San Lorenzo 3, Huracán 1, Godoy Cruz 1, Lanús 5, Rosario Central 1, Temperley 0, Belgrano 0, Aldo City 1, Arsenal de Saradí 3, River Plate 3, and Gimnasia y Grima La Plata 2, Nueva Chicago 1. Um, I think that that makes three clean sheets over the course of the whole weekend in the Primera and two of them came in the same match it was the very first match it was quite a goal happy weekend wasn't it yeah yes. it's four Tempele and Belgrano sheets, sorry yeah, yeah mm-hmm. right. Rosario Central and Aldo Sibi kept clean sheets against Tempele and Belgrano as well um, what did you think the main talking points were gents we should also mention by the way before we start that Estudiantes versus Libertad in the Copa Libertadores has just kicked off as we uh, begin to record um, Friday's uh, two matches where the uh, I'm pretty sure nobody watched Crucero against Olimpo. Oh. It was nil nil, two awful teams. So I they haven't the even won in the in the championship I yet. Caught the last five minutes of it, and that uh-huh. was quite enough. Okay, so we're gonna skip right over that one. But um, Racing's uh, victory against Colón for one uh, with a reserve team. And uh, I'm not sure how much uh, to pin to Racing's team and how much of it to pin to how awful Colón are and have been lately. Colón have remained quite poor away from home, especially. They got a creditable draw with Boca the previous weekend. But uh, having sacked Reynaldo Merlo after a poor performance on the first weekend of the season away to San Lorenzo, when they just barely made it into San Lorenzo's half, 
Uh, we criticised them at the time. We said they could only get better from that. And away from home, at least, they haven't got any better, have they? Yeah, it's, it's, been, Why is it's that? been awful. Um, and, and it also shows that um, that decision of sacking Merlo after just one weekend was obviously, like, it was ill-advised. I mean, how, how can you possibly make a decision... Uh, after just 90 minutes of football. Relationship between Merlo and players, especially David Ramirez, was broken since the, the Primera B Nacional, I think, because he was, he, Ramirez, who then said he was not responsible for Merlo being sacked. I think that if you publicly say that you don't like the coach, you are a bit responsible. But he, he said that uh, this uh, way of playing of Colón, which didn't like the players, was since they were in the Primera B Nacional. So mm -hmm. I think that they were waiting or expecting for uh, the first Colón defeat for, for him to to be sacked. But the manager now, of course, is Javier Lopez, and he's had four matches to improve them, and they have certainly looked a lot better than they did against San Lorenzo in their two home games. They've got two draws, I think it is, with Argentinos Juniors mm -hmm. and Boca Juniors. Um, but away, they continue to look awful. I mean... Yes. What, what is it with this just complete lack of any ambition whatsoever when they when, when they travel away? Why? It was uh, it was really a one very one sided game. I mean, it, it was four one and it could have been six one easily. Mm. Probably more to the point, Racing's attack finally clicks without Diego Benito on the pitch. Is that a yeah. turning point? New new players are getting fresh air to that team, which was good, but not having to put uh, Gustavo in, in match uh, with Nunez, this Coteca Nunez, don't know mm -hmm. why he's called that Yeah, I don't know Carlos, why. Carlos, Carlos Nunez, former player from Peñarol, Liverpool and Peñarol, Uruguay. <clears throat> now, now Racing, he did better even yesterday night against Sporting Cristal, but Nunez and, and Romero, the, the Paraguayan boy, Ole have a, a quote from Carlos Nunez today saying, I, I used to get pissed off with it, i.e. when they called him discoteca, uh, which in English means discotheque, uh, nightclub. I um, wonder why they call him that. Well, no, exactly, but I mean, they, they mention it, it's, it's kind of the point of this whole article, and they don't actually explain how um, he earned the nickname discoteca. Um, I watched Paso a Paso last on Sunday, and he, he rehearsed a kind of explanation that didn't necessarily involve how much he liked attending nightclubs. It was something about a group of friends and they all uh, got called this way or whatever. It really sounded like just an excuse. And I mean, if, if they're calling you Nightclub Nunez, there's just not a lot to think about, like, about why. It's a bit more ring in English, isn't it? <laughs> Nightclub Nunez sounds a lot better than Discoteca Nunez. Um, so anyway. for, for me, it has to do all things that Colón is... is Scrap and and racing with the, 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 those new uh, signings are is one of the best teams right now. I'm starting to mm -hmm. find their feet by the look of it. Uh, Banfield San Martin was a predictably high scoring game and, and pretty entertaining as well. Banfield were a bit more comfortable than the final score suggests. They were leading 3 1 um, with goals either side of half time until about 15 minutes to go when San Martin pulled another one back from Carlos Bueno, in fact, who scored both of San Martin's goals. Uh, we shall get on to the big five, uh, the rest of the big five, we should say, because we've just covered Racing briefly uh, in a minute. Um, but Newell's, we have laid into them a bit in the last couple of weeks. I think they're starting to 
find their feet now. Probably most importantly of all, they scored two goals away to Sarmiento. And okay, it's away to Sarmiento, but they scored two goals which Maxi Rodriguez was not involved in. I think that's the first time this year that he hasn't been involved in any Newell's goals. Um, prior to that, they'd scored six, five or six, and he'd, he'd, been, he'd scored all but one of them, and the one that he didn't score, he set up. Hmm. Um, so Alexis Castro and Ignacio Coco both found their, score, their shooting boots away to Sarmiento. And, and Newell's continue uh, to just look kind of effective. Uh, Américo Gallego admits that they're not playing all that well, but they're getting the points on the board. Yeah, it's true. It's it's also important how um, Skoko managed to score again. Um, it it's, it had been a, a long time and a long injury before uh, the last time he scored. And of course, we all know um, goal scorers they need to get in the first one right. So then then they can uh, they can start scoring and, and getting back into the rhythm. So this could that could be really important for Maxi to kind of share the the attacking spotlight in in the new team. And, and they will have to uh, find out some solutions to that. Well, Skoko is one of them because the Maxi Rodriguez has been called up again for for this uh, USA tour, uh, called mm-hmm. like that because they will play their national team. Yes, and now we have to make an apology to Luis yes. Bessone, a regular listener mm-hmm. who asked me on Twitter yesterday. I think possibly a couple of other people as well were asked in the same tweet. Um, whether this meant that uh, Newells were going to be missing him and I said no, the AFA announced at the uh, beginning of the year or towards the end of last year that this year the FIFA dates would see breaks in play for the Argentine League turns out they won't um, (laughs) because players who are being called up for international duty are going to miss their team's 7th round games that's not this coming weekend, it's the weekend after so sorry Luis Um, but Maxi Rodriguez is indeed going to be missing, along with a couple of other players from the domestic league, who we shall mention a little later when we uh, talk um, in more depth about the the Argentine national team. Um, Meles, who of course Newell's drew with, was it two weeks ago? It wasn't the week before, was it? Um, And who we thought were starting to look a bit better than we expected them to be, lost to Quilmes in a really pretty limp performance. Milton Caraglio scoring from the penalty spot, but apart from that, not much to report. Apologies, I'm getting a text message. Um, Argentinos Juniors versus Estudiantes was probably one of the more entertaining matches yeah. of the weekend, it has to be said. Uh, in a weekend which had its fair share of entertaining matches, um, Mystic Sam predicted a draw last week. I don't want to brag, but Mystic <laughs> Sam did get 8 out of 15 last weekend. Um, he wasn't expecting it, however, to be a 2-2 draw. I was thinking more 0-0 or 1-1. Um, Argentinos came out and looked really good in the second half after yep. going 2 0 down a minute into the second half. Um, tell us about it, one of you. Hmm. Santa, you were going to go to it, weren't you? But yeah, you yeah, I was going to, but at the last minute I decided not to, and I and I deeply regret regret my decision because it was uh, it was a very entertaining match. I uh, only caught the last the, the last uh, 45 minutes when Estudiantes um, were already 2 0 up. Um, and Argentinos looked really good in their in their comeback, and I think that they deserved uh, a bit more. They they could have won it. Ezequiel Garay scored the equaliser, and it was a fine goal. Um, but he was a bit of a silly boy because he got himself sent off uh, yeah. in well in stoppage time, in fact. So it didn't really materially effect if materially affect Argentinos' chance of hanging on to that point because I think there were about ten seconds to go when he got his red card. But still a bit daft. Um, but overall, yeah, Argentinos have come back up into the Primera and look like they're living with the big boys at yeah, last. They haven't lost yet. 
having been awful mm-hmm. when they when they got relegated, deservedly relegated, they only just came back up. Um, yeah, and they only came back up in the last fecha. Yeah, it wasn't an amazing performance in the Nacional B. And Estudiantes uh, have been one of the stronger sides until now, but Argentinos hold them. That's mystic. I thought they were, of course, but. Uh, <laughs> Credit yeah. to them for keeping that run going. Of course, it's uh, we're talking about our reserve Estudiantes side. Um, obviously, they're playing the Copa, so they, they, they weren't playing with most of their um, of their main uh, main players. Um, Israel Monte got a red card. Uh, it must be said in the I think it was in the first few minutes of the second half. Was it? Um, and there's really uh, it's one of the <laughs> big right. reasons. Did, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the, I think, the main big reason why uh, this turn turnover happened. But really good match. And what did we make? Off. What did we make of the Clásico of the weekend? San Lorenzo three, Huracan one. The Clásico that we did nothing at all to uh, preview last week. So let's review <laughs> it now. Um, it was pretty difficult to argue with the final score, really, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, Huracan tried. They claimed that the referee was against them and blah blah blah. Um, but really, San Lorenzo thoroughly on top throughout both yeah. teams at full strength I did feel a bit sorry for Orican because Orican have the strongest uh, the, the smallest squad of any of the sides involved in the Copa Libertadores and prior to that match they not only they played in midweek when San Lorenzo hadn't but they'd also played in the previous two midweeks prior to that as well um, so they had really basically a non-stop run of playing on Friday and then on Tuesday and then on Friday and then on Tuesday and then on Friday and then on Tuesday and then on Saturday I think it was the the classical yeah uh, plus this involves yeah. trips um, to I think Venezuela and also Brazil and now they have to travel um, I think Mexico or somewhere else they, they have a really you know uh, long distance Libertadores group and they also have to travel um, to the interior for a couple of away matches in the Primera so they, they've been traveling a lot with a small squad um, it's it's uh, it's it's starting to be an uphill battle for for Roca. But San Lorenzo are starting to look like they find their feet again, for the first time domestically really in over a year, because the whole of their domestic campaign in the final last year was taken up with the Libertadores, and so they set that to one side after winning the championship. Right. They lost the first weekend and then seemed to lose interest, and then obviously the the transition was right. This is all about just not getting players injured and concentrating on the club world cup. Um, and so last year we didn't see although they won the Copa Libertadores domestically we didn't see a very good San Lorenzo side at all and now they start, they're start. they just looking to me like they're playing their way into some form they've got um, I'm going to try and bring their their uh, results so far up they have played five they've lost one at home to San Martin three weeks ago uh, but they've won the other four um, and when they get on top they look like the San Lorenzo old all of a sudden. I don't think that the complaints that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago about the Barca. Third, third time since they turn turnover result, or am I wrong? Against Defensive Justicia for sure, and then this one. Yeah. And, and I think it was another one or, or in the league that's the only one because mm. the they've conceded goals against Defensive Justicia, which they won two one, against San Martin, which they lost two one, uh, and against Oracan, of course, which they won three one. But you're quite right, Oracan scored. Uh, first and a fantastic goal it was from it was Patricia Torrance. Torrance. Yes. Um, we should also mention uh, when we're talking about the classical that one San Lorenzo fan unfortunately died after the match um, he fell from the stands in 
mysterious circumstances, is it fair to say? He, the, the San Lorenzo club president made himself... Was it Lamens or was it Abdo? Lamens. It Lamens. It was Lamens. The, the club president um, went on the radio afterwards and made himself a rather unpopular man with the said fan's uh, mother by claiming that the fan had committed suicide. Uh, apparently the proof of this was that he was seen taking his glasses off before throwing himself off the stand. Why you particularly need to do that if you were going to commit suicide, I don't know. Um, but the mother is quite adamant that her son didn't commit suicide, he just took out membership two days before it happened, apparently. Um, and there's an investigation ongoing. Uh, what's going to happen to San Lorenzo Stadium, we don't know, but of course that's not really the important thing here. So, uh, By the way, San Lorenzo Stadium has been banned again, but not because of that, but because the Recopa second leg, in which the lineman has have mm. been thrown with... A, 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 a bottle of Fornet, precisely. <laughs> uh, so it's strange because you ban that stadium because, well, of course, of course, uh, throwing a, a bottle is not good, but I think it's bigger. The the death of a of a supporter is bigger yeah. than that. Especially when it's in such bizarre circumstances and um, no one seems to know really what happened, or presumably somebody does know what happened, but they're not coming forward. Um, or they haven't done yet anyway uh, Rosario Central kept up their 100% start to the season with a 1-0 win over Tempele they had to dig deep for it they had a man sent yeah. off I think just before, before yeah. halftime they had a man sent off and, very, and, and, missed. and Tempele had this very strange almost goal it was like a, a, a bit of a Hail Mary uh, cross to no one who that miraculously uh, hit the ground hit the post hit the ground hit the post, then the <laughs> ground, then the post, again. Somehow didn't manage not to get into the goal in, in this process of hitting the, the, the bar three times. And and then the, the goalkeeper grabbed it wow. um, peacefully. Finally, this missed. was b- before the, the, the Rosario Central uh, goal. So. I missed the first mm-hmm. half of this match because it kicked off at four o'clock on Monday afternoon. Uh, obviously, yeah. it was behind closed doors, but what the... AFA philosophy is about starting matches at that time on a non-bank holiday weekday afternoon, I don't know um, but in the second half Central clearly improved a bit because when I saw them they, they looked not brilliant but okay and they dug in um, and they kept up their, that 100% record, as I say they've got 5 wins from 5 now um, Aldo Civi got I think their first victory of the season away yep. to Belgrano in Cordoba so congratulations to them and now we get on I think to the uh, the, the other four of the well the other three of the big five because we covered San Lorenzo now as well so we have first of all let's go with Independiente uh, 1-1 draw away to Union Peter isn't here this week possibly because he's too ashamed to have turned up uh, Independiente did take the lead throughout because Lucas Albertengo not Alcas Lubertengo as I almost said um, but it was pulled back almost straight away uh, with a penalty from uh, Ignacio Malcorra um, I didn't see most of that much did either of you certainly can't say anything about it but yet again Independiente failed to keep a clean sheet so we can't say that much at least uh, Aguilera and Cuesta were, was their centre-back partnership this time by the way in case you're wondering uh, and now onto the two giants of course Boca Juniors and River Plate Boca as most people would have expected got a fairly routine victory except it wasn't really that routine it wasn't really that routine the Boca, second half was um... and I don't mean this mm-hmm. to um to criticise them too much it's an admirable trait really in, in a, a team who are going to be uh, aiming to challenge on, on multiple fronts they're making a bit of a habit of 
looking deeply unconvincing in almost every home match, mm. but winning them anyway. Um, defensively, this year scored an equaliser, in fact, which was a very, very, very tight offside call. It was, it was um, not allowed. Um, I didn't know whether it should have been or not. Everybody else seemed to think it was clearly onside. I thought it, maybe the guy's head was just off. Uh, but anyway, Boca came through with a 2-1 win, and they followed it up on Tuesday night in the Copa Libertadores with a, was it five in the end or six or five. seven? I stopped paying attention. Uh, away to Samora um, to just kind of hammer home that point that they've got the most ridiculously easy Copa hmm. Libertadores group. But there, in that match, there were five goals scored with their feet and one with the hand. We have, must say that... Uh, the one with the hand was not a bocker. No, 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 Zamora goal was <laughs> just a volleyball goal because the, the Murillo, I think, he, it was the one of the mm. biggest promise, promises of Bene, uh, football from Venezuela. Just The ball was just ahead of, 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 of him and, and, and Gicha, he just uh, put his hands on, on inside the, in front of him to make the ball get into the... I think it was deliberate. Uh, no, but uh, well, uh, it's another one where I wasn't convinced. The TV commentators were all—I mean, the TV commentators on Fox Sports, of course, are Boca fans and make no <laughs> no secret of it, even though they're broadcasting to the entire continent. And they didn't shut up about it until well into the second half. Um, even when Boca were three 0 up, they were still going on about it. But I wasn't convinced that it was an in, it was entirely deliberate. To be honest, I thought it kind of slipped. And okay, maybe on the way down, thought, oh, I could uh, nudge this in, mm-hmm. maybe, but. Wasn't sure, but what was definitely true was that Samora were absolutely fucking pathetic after half time. Boca underestimated them in the first half. They made two changes at half time and just straight away it was like T- a train t-shirt, most of the second half. T shirt that they wore yesterday was sh- uh, quite, quite similar to Newcastle one, but not, yeah. the, f- not the football, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's easy group for, for Boca and they are just qualified or. Uh, they, it depends on the result of the match later tonight between Montevideo Wanderers and Palestino um, if oh I've forgotten which one it, I, I think if Montevideo Wanderers yes. don't win hmm. no actually I think Palestino have to have to win to for Boca to go through and that isn't going to happen because Palestino don't go that good um, and Co- Corinthians, al- sorry, Corinthians also won yesterday against Anubio but Boca is his streak of for uh, with matches make them possible first position uh, amongst the first placed first yes. teams. Yeah. And, that and we mentioned for the last couple of weeks um, on hand apart that the team who finished first at the group stage had never won the Copa Libertadores and as Mariano I saw pointing out to Andres um, last Thursday corrected him um, and indeed indirectly corrected us because Andres was only repeating what he'd heard me say a couple of times on here uh, Atletico Mineiro did so in 2013 uh, they were the first team to win having been top seeds um, so that was incorrect and if you're going to repeat it in any pub quizzes or barroom talks or anything we apologise <laughs> and uh, you can now correct yourselves next time you talk to your friends uh, with the vast wealth of knowledge that we bring you on <laughs> South American football or try to I think what's interesting about Boca is um they have um, five forwards who are in a really good level in playing. I mean, they're in, in main team level, you know. You have uh, Osvaldo, who is obviously one step ahead most of the players. Yeah, Os- uh, Osvaldo is a player who we've made a fairly vocal um, 
denunciations of for his uh-huh. personality. So yeah, Darby yeah, Seals not like the pod, mm-hmm. and everybody knows that we strongly dislike him. But it's becoming more apparent each time he plays that he's just too good for this league. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you you, you want to hate him, but he he's he's really oh, too no good. Him about it. I, I <laughs> uh, he's, he, he's just too good for the. He's he's too good for. Most of the defenders can hold a candle to this guy. It's, uh, it's there are certain it's, it's players simply a different category that that can play drunk and they will do it mm-hmm. anyway. Good, anyway, yeah. in a good way. He's one of them. It's quite impressive. Then you have, um, of course, Chavez, who is in an amazing level, has been for the last at least nine months or so. Palacios, he's on fire. He's scoring every time he gets a chance. Um, he wasn't even half as good in on, on fire, Arsenal. but injured right hmm. now. We will mm-hmm. see how how many time it demands oh. recovery, mm-hmm. but he's injured as, as well as Gago. As is Fernando okay. Gago, yeah, who had to be stretched off during the Defensa Justicia game, uh, and is out for around um, well between three months and a, sorry three weeks and one month, oh. depending mm-hmm. on uh, depending on which newspapers or websites you read. Um, how much of a loss is Gago going to be? Because he really has improved a lot, as we mentioned just last week, actually, um, for Boca this season so after a, quite an awful 2014. Uh, they have really solid substitutes, and they are, I am a big fan of Pablo Cubas. I think he's uh, an amazing promise. You have Herbes as well, and um, I suppose Fuenzalida could also play. In Pablo Perez will play someone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sometime. So yes, you, yeah, you, it's now, such a deep squad. It's it's amazing. They have substitutes. And, uh, yesterday, I think that Herbes and, and Meli. Well, it was against Zamora. Meli, of course, yeah. Caleri had an amazing match as well last night and Martinez is gaining his form back it's just um, yeah, I'm not sure that last night is really the best indicator of how good anybody's yeah. form was because Zamora yeah. were just yeah you're right dreadful. but Juan Aurich was also pretty but awful the, the wire point yeah absolutely um, Vera couldn't mm-hmm. no indeed and uh, River therefore we may as well now move on to because they're not enjoying life quite as much um, as Boca Juniors are at present they after we recorded last week as Santi mentions got a 1-1 draw was it yeah, away to one, Juan Alrich in uh, Lima and actually was probably the worst performance of the Copa Libertadores campaign so far because the previous two results were just to remind people a, a 2-0 loss away to San Jose um, in the two and a bit mile high altitude of Oruro in Bolivia um, followed by a very disappointing 1-1 draw away wasn't it to Tigres yes. um, no home no home at home to Tigres thank you yeah um, both of which were disappointing results but in fact the performances were kind of good enough that in isolation those results would have been okay it was just the accumulation of them that made it look um, not so great but last week against uh, Juan Alrich they really didn't look that good at all it was awful some of it was Okay, the pitch wasn't great, but as Andres was saying to me before we started recording, you can't blame everything on the artificial pitch. It's not of as course. if Rivers players have never played on one of those before. Yes, um, the, the ball had a rabbit inside, but that's not an excuse. Hmm. Um, Juan Aurich looked like a amateur team for the most of the first half. River could have easily scored three or four goals if they had just put their mind to it. Um, Teo Gutierrez seems... Absolutely out of it. He just seems uh, more occupied in making his second goal of the match than in making his first. Um, except for Mora, the, the the rest of the team they just didn't look. Uh, it, it's not it's not gelling right. Just mm-hmm. as as it happened last last year, uh, they are not scoring. They are not 
uh, translating the opportunities into goals, and that means for them uh, conceding goals because. Uh, but Okay, yeah. On the one hand, yes, and it's undeniable that the, that the attack isn't as fluid as it was. But River are still, in fact, scoring in pretty much every yeah. match, not counting the, the match in Aurora, which is obviously exceptional for uh, the conditions it was played in. But in the league and in the other two Copa Libertadores matches, they've scored in all of them. The main difference is that they're conceding too many as well. And perfect example of that on Monday night, um, they were 3-1 down at half-time and playing absolutely awfully at half-time against yeah. Arsenal de Sarandí, so we have the perfect person uh, with whom to discuss this this match. Um, and in the second half, I missed most of the first half because I was running the Buenos Aires pub quiz, but I then caught the second half, and in the second half they looked rather a lot better. It, it was as if they somebody had Gachado switched something inside their head. Um, and just in flashes of the second half, they looked like the old 2014 model of River again. Um came back into it they got the 3-3 draw they could have possibly won it with their, their one late chance even later than uh, Rodrigo Mora's equaliser um, what did first of all since we're talking about River already Andres what, what did you can you take any encouragement from the way that they came back on Monday night against Arsenal well I, I must admit that I also missed part of it uh, but <clears throat> what I have read and what I sup- suppose because I have been watching River the other matches is that uh, yes the problem is that uh, uh, there are key players that uh, during the last year have been uh, at their best I think their best perform- possible performance and now they are uh, miles away from it the case is uh, Pisculici, Rojas, Cranemeter who last, last year was before the, the, the injury was uh, called like the new Jefecito for uh, to compare with uh, with Macherano, uh, mini mini chef chief. Uh, so now it's the the other way around. Just performances and levels are not the way uh, that were last last year, and 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 they're they're paying mistakes and especially defensive mistakes with, with goals like uh, again Funes Mori. Uh, falling with the ball and and and, and uh, asking for a foul and the first goal of uh, Arsenal goal came after that play. Uh, so it's, uh, it's just irregular, irregular because uh, if every time that River uh, plays a, a bad first half, Marcelo Gallardo has to uh, talk to the players and say, "Wait, we we cannot." Uh, continue like this. We must uh, react. We must and, and make changes of also also of players. That means that uh, well, the team is, is 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 not the way it used to be. Clearly, Santi, from an Arsenal point of view, um, what did you make of Monday night's game? Um, well, um, you know, Arsenal had only scored once in the first four matches of uh, of this tournament. So scoring three against River in the first half was uh, it was encouraging. Um, it was uh, it was a really good performance by a team that had really showed next to nothing in the last uh, in the last couple of matches. And you know, as I've said before on the podcast, the the team has really been gutted out of their um, best players. Um, so it, it was uh, it was in my opinion it was encouraging to see. Uh, Arsenal scoring three and, and making uh, 
a really good match against what is still one of the best uh, teams in, in South America, even if they're um, not having the, the best of um, the best of matches in, in the latest uh, in the latest few months. Um, it could have easily been 4-1 before the 3-2 came in. Uh, if you look at the, at the play, um, I think it was Funes Mori, who, or, or maybe yeah. uh, it was Funes Mori, who slips, and uh, I think it was Carrera who almost got to score his yes. third. He, he doesn't score by an inch. I think it was even, uh, uh, he hit the post, and that's when uh, someone heads the ball out and the, the, the play goes on and it ends up in an amazing uh, Mora goal uh, who just pulled a rabbit out of the hat to make it 3-2 and then if you look at the, at the match it's clear that Mora had an amazing, amazing individual performance and that's, you can never... Yeah, Mora scored uh, Rivers' second mm-hmm. and third goals but yeah. it was a match of Golasos, it has to be said because yeah. Arsenal's opener uh, was, yeah, was very something. well taken. Rivers' first equaliser, which was scored by Gonzalo Martinez, the new boy, um, was uh, it reminded me just slightly of uh, Ricky Vicha in the in the FA Cup final mm-hmm. uh, in 1981. I think I'm giving away the fact that I'm not a Spurs fan here, um, mm. but off the top of my head, I think it was 81, uh, which is possibly not a goal that Andres and Santi would have seen. No, he's Argentine, you know. It's voted as the best uh, FA Cup final goal ever. I shall show it to you during the break. Um, it reminded me slightly of that. It's not quite on the same level. It's certainly not quite as big a stage as Wembley, uh, without any disrespect meant to El Viaducto, Santi. Um, but, yeah, that was a really well taken one. And then Moras, both of Moras, in fact, uh, yeah. the, the, um, the lob uh, for the 3-2 goal and then the equaliser, which was from a free kick from all of about 30 yards out. And Which Perez to the top corner, and Perez's goal as well. Yeah. Five of the yeah, six goals them. were very, very good. Um, so um, all in all, it, it was uh, it was not as bad as it might seem from a match that you were winning three win at halftime and and then ends up three three. It shows signs of something better to come. Um, we're hopeful because there's a lot of teams in the Premier now, and you only have to be in the last two, in the bottom two, to get relegated. So. Um, our hopes are still up. <laughs> and what, what, what I was going to ask him is, what do you, do you think about Silva? That has been announced as a new sign, signing since he ended yeah, his he, contract with Lanús and yeah, finally... Yeah, he said last week he rescinded his contract with yes. Lanús and has now signed for Arsenal. We were talking last week yeah. about the possibility he might sign for Quilmes, of course, because... Um, uh, Kinless manager is God. I've forgotten his name. Julio Cesar Falcioni. <laughs> he managed Silva at Banfield and, of course, at Boca Juniors as well. Um, he's signed for Arsenal. So is that a, that's a bit of a coup, no? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm quite happy about it. I think he's a great number nine. And uh, considering that Arsenal has now scored four goals in the whole championship and three have been by Sebastian Carrera, we really need some goal power and uh, a better forward than we're using right now. So. It's a great addition to our team. Though he's 34 years old now, right now. And Is he 34? 34. Yes. Really? I, I, yes, I heard and I thought he was younger, but... Yeah. Well, I wouldn't guess that. Please check that. I think he's really good. If you can ignore his um, sudden and frequent uh, outbursts of emotion while on the pitch, 
which frequently lead him to getting stupid red cards and everything. But if you take that out, and I stupid think celebrations, it's an amazing, amazing fall. And stupid celebrations. Uh, well, it, has, yeah. it has to be said that in the realm of stupid celebrations, Santiago Silva uh, has not just got an heir, but has got somebody, um, funnily enough, playing for Boca, <laughs> who is completely outdoing him because the just moronicness and making me want to throw my own television out of the window. Uh, nature of Daniel Osvaldo's celebrations for Boca, particularly the team photograph one, uh, <laughs> after he scored his first goal, it just outdoes anything that Silva's ever done on a football pitch. Uh, and that's all we're saying on the matter. We're not going to give Osvaldo the benefit of, of talking about it for any longer. But let's get back to Silva. What, what can he bring to Arsenal's team, bearing in mind the difficulty that they've had scoring goals before the River match? Um, he should bring a bit more focus to the, yeah. the attack. No, nothing yeah, else. definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, as I said, we, we are really in need of some goal power. And it's also important, I, I think that Silva is a, it's, he's a great player for a small team. He wasn't quite good enough for Boca, uh, but I, I don't think that this was because of how bad or well he played, but because his style of play, I mean, he's really sacrificed. Um, he has a great uh, aerial play and also in defense. You can often see him uh, heading balls on his own box when there's a set piece or something for the opposite team. So I think he's a, a great uh, forward for a small team who are maybe going to play counter or trying to get a lot of set pieces or also playing for um, the mistakes of the rival defense. So in this sense, I think he, he, he will fit he was, in just right. He was just magnificent. Well, he made Banfield become champions. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, goal scorer. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, making pair of uh, being uh, in attack with uh, with Papelito Fernandez, uh, Sebastián Fernandez, who was uh, just the, the Guillermo of, of Banfield, and, mm -hmm. and he was Palermo more or less. So yeah, if if he's like that, well, score will score a lot of goals. Yeah, and there was also a youngster in that team, a, a certain person. Some people may have heard of called James. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, he, so, he played mm -hmm. his part as well, uh, it has to be said. Um, having mentioned Arsenal and having mentioned their new striker, right, it, it was occurring to me whilst Santi was talking that there can be few better managers for a striker of Silva's calibre and indeed Silva's type than the manager that he now has. But Martin Palermo has come under a certain amount of pressure and so I thought, we're now five matches in um, and... Obviously, Conon have sort of slightly ruined this for us by sacking Merlo after the first match. But if you'd asked most of us, I think, before the beginning of the season, roughly what kind of uh, round the first sacking is going to happen, in this being Argentina, I think five, six or seven would have been a, a fairly uh, easy to predict one on the sweepstake. Nobody has been let go since Ronaldo Merlo just yet. Um, but there are a few players, uh, sorry, a few managers, ex-players, um, whose names are being linked with the exit door. Palermo, I think maybe as, as give, giving himself a bit of time with the performance and, and getting a point against River um, but you've got Martin Palermo at Arsenal and you've got uh, Matias Almeida at Banfield uh, funnily enough Silva's one of Silva's many former clubs um, are there any others that we can think of off the top of our heads? None of well, the ones who were know, really way down the table because they were all more or less expecting to be there but um, there's got to be at least one other right? 
Yeah, I was going to mention exactly what you just said, <laughs> but in the opposite way, because I was about to say that there's, I think, seven teams who haven't won a single match mm. in five showings, so surely one of them, uh, you know, I will, here we always say salto el fusible, with the, it's, a, it's a metaphor, like an electric metaphor, where, where you get the little thing that jumps out, and it's it's gonna happen sooner sooner or later for for some of these teams who are doing a really poor showing. And apart from that, mm, you could say Independiente isn't doing quite as well as they had hoped. If if they oh, link no, a few losses, sure if they right. link a few losses, um, then I think he hasn't really gone into the heart of the Independiente fan. No, we've discussed that, of course, already. Mm -hmm. um, that he's, he's not the most popular, but I wouldn't no, think he's, he's not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Independiente's record so far is a win against Newell's Old Boys, a draw with Sarmiento, a win against Quilmes, a defeat to Belgrano, and a draw away to Union. Um, if anything, I guess the thing that's going to add some pressure to Almiron there is the fact that the draw with Sarmiento and their only defeat have become the only two home matches they've played. The mm -hmm. two wins both came away from home. Um, but they're doing okay, not that great, but they're in eleventh, which normally would be lower mid table. But in this season, it's very much the uh, upper third of the table, or, or there or thereabouts. Um, we may as well now, with five matches played, I think we can probably justify a very brief run through the table. So, a great speed from 30th up to first. And you, as soon as Andres has made this point, no, I think you forgot to mention last year match, uh, last. Uh, yesterday match, sorry, not last year, uh, uh, between Gimnasia and Chicago, that which has had yes. been suspended. I mentioned the score, but I didn't yes. mention. We didn't go into any more details. There is something interesting about that match, which is that Gimnasia had, had been winning one 0 then Abeldaña, I think, got the equalizer, and with nothing to to go uh, to the end of the match, uh, Ignacio Fernandez scored finally two one, and up to that time, I think Trollio was out of Gymnasia was going to be with Of course, right, yeah, he was the other one. And finally he grabbed the 2-1, well, just when match was going to an end, and he shouted out the goal to a supporter who apparently has been bothering him for a long time. According to Troglio. Yeah, according to him, to his family and to him, well, he must have been called son of, well, that son of bitch. Mm. And, and and that kind of things and and he finally I don't know how to say it in English le saltó la cadena he was like finally with the winning goal was like well he just shouted out to that to that supporter and, and well, then he asked he, he apologized but well we are like this and the, and the, we are very like pressed and but that was interesting because a single goal may made him be at work still. Yes, and that's the, those are the kind of fine margins that, that these things get uh, can be balanced on. Um, as I say, none of the bottom sort of handful of clubs, at least, have managed under any real pressure at the moment. Uh, but let's just run from bottom to top all the way up the table. Um, Atletico de Rafaela are 30th with one point from five matches. Pathetic. Um, Olimpo, Nuevo Chicago and Crucero del Norte all have two points. Colón, Sarmiento and Arsenal are all on three. And then you have Tempele and Huracán on four. Aldo Civi, Gimnasia and Quilmes on five. Defensa Justicia and San Martín de San Juan on six. Um, Godoy Cruz 
and Belgrano de Cordoba, Union and Banfield all have seven points and now we're into the top half of the table because uh, <laughs> Banfield are in 13th the teams on eight points um, are Tigre, Independiente, Vélez, Sarsfield and Champions, Racing uh, Argentinos have nine points as do River Plate and Lanús and then the teams in double figures already at the top five Estudiantes de la Plata and Newells both have ten San Lorenzo have twelve Boca Juniors have thirteen and leading the way as we've already mentioned are Rosario Central with a 100% record 15 points from a possible 15 so far um, the majority the vast majority of the newly promoted sides remain in that bottom ten um, the newly promoted sites in the bottom ten are Nueva Chicago, Crucero del Norte, Colón, Sarmiento, Temperley, Huracán, Aldo Civi. So that's seven of the, of the of the bottom ten, and seven of the ten teams who came up indeed, because the the teams who are in the what would be the Primera, the, the top twenty, um, if we hadn't changed things around, are Defensi sorry, Defensi Justicia aren't newly promoted, are they? San Martin de San Juan, uh, Unión de Santa Fe, and Argentinos Juniors. Um, so, so far, we're, we're continuing with the, with the point that we made last week, which is that the newly promoted sides aren't really good enough. Although it has to be said, some of them have had rather, rather awkward fixture lists so far. Crucero del Norte started off at home to... Thank you, at home to Tigre, but then they have back-to-back away games against Vélez and Newells. No, sorry, away to Vélez, at home to Newells, and then they had to travel to Rosario Central, who, of course, at the time, when the fixtures were drawn up, wouldn't have seemed like that much of a threat, but we now know. Very good team. So they've, they've been unlucky to an extent, but haven't really looked all that good anyway. And there are one or two other teams as well who maybe have benefited from having an easy run of matches. I think Vélez Sarsfield, to an extent, stand out um, in, in that regard. Um... You could possibly even say the same about Boca, actually. Uh, and one or two other teams who have had particularly difficult starts. Is this going to even out later in the season, or do you think the sides with an easy start are now going to have a bit more momentum and a bit more confidence, and that's going to allow them to go into the, the tougher matches? Because we're coming up for a, a couple now where you kind of have a bit of a switch in the fixture list, and over the next few weeks they're going to have a slightly harder run than they've had until now. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I was looking through some of the, the upcoming fixtures um, the other day and, and this case I think Vélez might be one let's see Vélez so far have uh, beaten Aldo Civi and Crucero del Norte drawn with Newells and Sarmiento and then lost to Quilmes Newells really are the only ones of those who you would have looked at before the season and gone ooh that's a tricky fixture for Vélez in their opening five games but they've now got Belgrano Union Arsenal Godoy Cruz Gimnasia none of whom are going to be quite as easy given okay Union sure maybe but it's, it's a notably trickier run, albeit without being incredibly difficult. It's not like they've got to go to the big five all in one go. Um, and I think that certainly there are going to be better examples uh, another point of the season of, of uh, periods where one team or another are going to run into these trickier runs. How much of the title race is going to be decided by whether that coincides with a big match in a continental competition, for instance, with one of the top teams? Well, I, I think that for example, Boca and Racing are, uh, I will say, have their way in, uh, up to the to the round of 16 clear, so they perhaps can now put a decent team, a mix between uh, the normal starting uh, 11 than with the substitutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it will depend on the streak of matches in which you have to play against Crucero Norte, Sarmiento, uh, Chicago, Rafaela, which are clearly the, the, the worst teams so far, 
and I don't think they then those things can can improve a lot. I no. think that they can improve perhaps a bit, but not. I don't see them. I I don't see the those teams. I like well, but the, the, the tournament is still uh, on the on the beginning. There are still twenty four matches to go, so uh, it will depend. I think Bogan Racing will put more decent teams than, for example, River and. As an example of, of what Andres is saying about the promise that some of the lower sides have in terms of are they going to improve or not, Atletico de Rafaela have had uh, their fixtures in order so far, have been a defeat to Argentinos Juniors, a defeat to Banfield, a defeat to Boca Juniors, a draw with Racing and a defeat to Tigre. Now, Boca and Racing and the way they've started this season, Tigre, are not you know, the, the easiest of opponents and Argentinos have started fairly solidly as well. But really the point there is that Atletico just haven't looked like they're in the same match in a, in a lot of these games um, quite aside from the fact that some of them have, have been fairly narrow scoreline wise Atletico have been thoroughly outplayed in a lot of matches and they're not the only team there are a number of sides I think who don't look anywhere near good enough for the Primera at this stage that's what I think anyway um, the, the, the strange thing about this tournament is that, that there's since there's now uh, just one single round and the only match that gets a home and away version is your Clásico. Um, Clásico. Clásico, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or whatever the AFA decided that your Clásico is. Um, so this means that there, there's certain matches that if you get a home match against Chicago or a home match against Andosivi, then you can basically chalk, you know, Three little three points uh, for your tally, uh, just looking at your fixture, because um, there's uh, there's not the away match that kind of balances it out. Because okay, I have to travel to this um, to this stadium, which may be in the interior, and there's gonna be a lot of fans showing up and and whatever. So th this means that um, some teams have an easier fixture than others, and that's uh, as, as easy as that. Sides. So it's 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 going to be decisive. I and think. there are not mm -hmm. too many far away teams. Like the, I think the farthest is Misiones uh, with Crucero. Yeah. Then is well San Martin maybe, but San Martin and, and Mendoza. Godoy Cruz, but people are well used yeah. to going to Godoy Cruz to Mendoza mm -hmm. by this point. Sides without a win so far, and we realise this is tremendously premature to do, but and the pod is nothing if not premature um, and daring in in our ability to make ourselves look foolish. So. One very quick thing before a half-time break, since the Estudiantes match has now reached half-time. It's nil-nil, by the way. Um, the seven teams who are still without a victory so far in this championship are Arsenal de Sarandí, Sarmiento, Colón, Crucero del Norte, Nueva Chicago, Olimpo and Atlético de Rafaela. Now, I'm going to say first of all that I think that the answer to this question is no. But I'm going to put it to you two anyway. Do you think that any of those sides could possibly go the entire year without a single league win at this level? I don't think so. The Argentine football is uh, it's really up. You know, it goes up and it goes down. And it, so you're it, saying at some really point some of them are going to make someone's going to put in a bad enough performance that even Crucero del Norte will get a win. It's going to be one of the other teams that you mentioned. Yes, but Crucero yeah. can beat Olimpo or Rafaela. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they could be they've played, they've played Olimpo, haven't they? Uh, I'm pretty sure Olimpo, yeah, nil nil. It was this fair. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of boring nil nils, but uh, there's going to be 
Uh, mind you, they're away to Aldo City on the last weekend, so that could be <laughs> the match in which the uh, the record falls. But we shall we'll see. Let's see how long we go before we see the last team with, with a winless record uh, to go. And teams who haven't lost a match yet, because a, a lot of very weak teams in the division means, of course, that some sides have played just those teams and, and have got unbeaten records so far. So the teams who still have yet to lose um, are... I'm going to leave one of them uh, until last because they're slightly surprising. But Argentinos Juniors uh, 1-2 and drawn 3. River Plate have won two and drawn three, so for all of the talk of, of their crisis, it's worth bearing in mind that they are unbeaten at the moment. Lanus have won two and drawn three. Um, Boca Juniors have won four and drawn one, and Rosario Central, of course, have won five, drawn none, and lost none. Um, and the other team, who are rather surprisingly unbeaten, are Union de Santa Fe, who sit in 14th place with one, vic- 14th place with one victory and four draws. Um, do we think any of those could go the year unbeaten? The whole year? Sure, you know. It's a big question. This isn't the La- who, Spanish so, La Liga. So instead, <laughs> who, who, who can we see being the last of those teams to lose their unbeaten record? Rosario Central is looking really solid. Really they, solid. The, the Temperley win... two goals in five matches. So. Mm-hmm. The Temperley win was one of those wins that we call a champion's victory because mm. it was one of those really hard matches that uh, it's, it's said that if you have the champion's luck or the winner's luck then you, you pull them through and, and if you don't you just lose them or, or tie them for stupid reasons and I think Rosales and Tala are going to be really hard to beat I'm tempted to go with Central as well actually I think purely because of the defensive <coughs> record Rivers unbeaten record in the transition was the last to fall because they didn't concede any goals and when you're not conceding goals it's very very difficult anyway, to lose matches anyway it's strange uh, even taking into account that there are thirty, uh, there are fi- only five uh, rounds played, that only one leader. It's strange for me, given that uh, all the time we say that it's very tight tournaments and a lot of leaders, or at least two or three leaders, then four or five uh, second positions. Then mm. strange that, but Brazil Tras, as Santi said, uh, I think the other the other day was a. Uh, those of those matches that you win and well, that the, the uh, self-esteem is, is 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 bigger because of of that win. And and Marco Rubén is for Rosario Central the same way that Maxi Rodriguez is for News, scoring everything. Yeah. And there's some um, something that we didn't mention. I also want to say Lanús are looking like a really tough team to beat. That's something and that I was thinking of when we mentioned Santiago Silva because. We were talking last week about Santiago Silva's contract dispute and Lanús was struggling to score a bit. And Santiago Silva, after we recorded last week, had his contract officially rescinded, as we already knew when we, when he recorded when we recorded that was going to happen. Um, and their very first match after that happens, they win five one, and Lucas Melano scores four goals. It was as if he'd been hanging around Lanús, overbearing on their strikers and, and stifling their play even without being on the pitch. And the second he was gone. They were liberated uh, because they looked really, really good. They um, looked really good, and Milano yeah, scored yeah, a couple of amazing Godoy goals. Godoy Cruz away to Godoy Cruz. Yes, this is an amazing scoreline for for Lanús. Five 0 away to Godoy Cruz with four goals. And like Central, they've also mm-hmm. only conceded two goals in their five matches. Yeah. And they started losing with a tremendous goal from Leandro Fernandez, yeah. Godoy Cruz, yeah. who is also, I think, four goals, also doing brilliant. I don't know if it was Melano's second or third, but uh, there's two goals by him that were just works of art. It's really worth looking up. Mm. Amazing, amazing um, 
scoring uh, ability, and he hadn't scored for over a year, I think. Yes. So it's quite impressive. More than one year, and he scored. I think that in that particular case, Santiago leaving Santiago Santiago Silva leaving is better for him. Could be. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, he scored only in one match, even though he scored four. Uh, I, perhaps it's better for him because he has no the number nine there to to being obliged to to uh, I think give the ball and and that he's more responsible of, of scoring, which is. Well, perhaps better. Indeed. Um, We are going to take a break now. We're going to refill our glasses. And when we come back, we will answer some listeners' questions and we'll talk just a little bit about the three local inclusions uh, for the USA tour that the national team are embarking on very shortly. So don't go anywhere. to mention the national team uh, we mentioned last week or two weeks ago what the squad was and we said that in a couple of weeks time Gerardo Martino was going to call a couple of players up from the local league um, we knew that one of them was going to be Fernando Gago and of course he got injured so one of them is not Fernando Gago he um, made the decision to not call anybody else up in Gago's place but it's fair to say I think that was one of the call ups the one we've already mentioned Maxi Rodriguez was expected because he generally is called up for Argentina squads and it is Gerardo Martino as well. The Newell's Old Boys connection is there. Um, the other two are perhaps slightly more surprising. We had heard the name of Federico Manquecio linked very much with the Argentina squad um, due to his fine form for Independiente. I'm not sure whether anybody was seriously expecting him to get a call up though, were they? I don't think so. I mean, he's been really good, and the, the, the interesting thing is... I don't know. Yeah. I think, he's been um, really good at he, this level, but yeah, the yeah. position he plays but, it. Exactly. The, um, in in the domestic level, only Lodeiro and Manquecho can be seen as the modern style of box-to-box midfielder. And that, Lodeiro is, of course, of course mm-hmm. uh, not eligible. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So th- this is why I'm... Uh, um, I kind of understand Martino's position in calling Manquecho his... But would you, would you call them box-to-box midfielders? I mean, I think of mm-hmm. Lodeiro, I think that was more of a number 10. A number 10? Perhaps not uh, to I've the seen... same degree as Riquelme being a pure number 10, but certainly mm-hmm. he, he doesn't look out of place in Riquelme's shirt for Boca so far this season. Um, and Manquecho certainly is not a number 10, he's not creative, mm-hmm. but I don't think of him as box-to-box. Well, Maybe I'm just not watching Independiente enough, that's mm-hmm. entirely possible, because I don't have the time to pay attention to all of these matches, whether they're three on at once. But when, when you say box-to-box, you usually think of Yaya Ture, and of course mm-hmm. this guy has, uh, he has the stamina of a yeah. uh, charging ball, and he can actually do box-to-box in every single play that City gets into. And it's not going to be the case for any Argentine player playing in a domestic league for reasons of um, not not only level of play, but also about, as I said, stamina and preparation and, and everything in between. Um, Diet. Of course. Fitness training. Yeah, fitness training. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as far as a, as a, as a midfielder uh, in Argentina 
can take on defensive and offensive duties. I think Manquesha and, and Lodeiro can, can be considered the two most sacrificed offensive midfielders mm-hmm. or the two more creative defensive midfielders that we have in, in our league. I mean, okay. I think they could be worked into those kinds of players if, if they ever got yes, they are you know, key for back to Europe in case of Lodeiro or, yes. or in the case of Manquesha. Yeah, they are key for getting the ball mm-hmm. again, for... Uh, being creative into the the, the game, the whole transition, the whole transition, and, and getting to the to the box and, and scoring perhaps. Mm-hmm. The other day, day against Zamora, and well, Manquesha every every time. But yes, the thing is that he he's not Gago or plays in a similar position than Gago, who was injured, and that's why Martino called Manquesha up. Yeah. But perhaps if Manquesha hasn't been called up, if, uh, with with this injury, given the injury of of, of Gago. Every everyone will say, well, but when he will call up Manquesha, perhaps it's by that that way, not because of the position. Yeah, my understanding was that uh, Martino hadn't called anybody up in Gago's stead. It turns out I've now brought the Independiente page up on all day, and it turns out that Manquesha, in fact, has been called up for precisely that reason. Uh, I was under the impression that he was going to call up four players and just called up these three anyway. Uh, turned out that's not the case. Um, Maxi Rodriguez, nothing need, need to say about him. I think our listeners are all going to be very familiar with what he can do and why he's in the squad. Uh, the other player, it is fair to say, is a bit more divisive, even than Manquesho. Uh, it's Ramiro Funes Mori of River Plate, um, a player who many River fans feel shouldn't even be in the River Plate team, <laughs> never mind the national team. First thing to point out is, of course, he's not going to be in the national team. He's very unlikely to play. Um... Is he the best Argentine centre-back in the league? He was close a couple months ago. I think, as I said before we started recording, he was called up for his form of four months ago. Um, I don't think he's in, in form right now. Uh, I can think of a number of better uh, central defenders than Ramiro Funes Mori, even in the River team. Yes, but Argentine. Because yes. Balanta's the obvious one, but of course he's Colombian. Um, but who are the, the yeah, I think Pesela uh, has is uh, is in better form right now than than mm-hmm. Funimori. So why should Funimori be called up? Bearing, I mean, from what we know about Martino, which on a personal level isn't a great deal, um, why would Martino particularly prefer Funimori over Maidana? <laughs> Youth, as one example. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we all know that Rivers' defense was uh, the highlight of their squad and their team last season, and it was the main reason why they managed to win the Sudamericana and stay in the title race for so long. Um, Martino has said before that the whole back four of, of Rivers' Sudamericana champions um, were uh, in level, in selection level. Um, he was talking about uh, Mercado. Banchoni, um, Funes Mori, of course, and Maidana. Um, I think out of those four, he's uh, the youngest one. Banchoni, it's um, worth mentioning, has been called up by Martino he has already, been called, of course, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the past squads. And I think Funes Mori is the one that has like the, the biggest potential in terms of being sold to Europe and growing into a better player, maybe. So you're implying the that, that perhaps Martino has a stake in Funes Mori's transfer? Just <laughs> to push the value up? Why not? These are big Why not? This is Argentina. Anything could happen. We're here. very lucky that the AFA's lawyers. I think in this case, particularly, he 
the, the, the other way around as we are used to, which is calling up players because of their moments they are going through. In this case, he perhaps called him up, as his as Santi said before we started recording, because of his level four, four months ago. Uh, so historic performance, not right now, because of course right now is not the same. The whole defense, real play defense is not the same. Mm. So uh, yes, perhaps it's his, he, he sees potential and, and, and... Is there perhaps the potential as well to, rather than using him as a defender, he wants to use him as a kind of battering ram at set pieces? Because Argentina, for a couple of years, maybe even longer than a couple of years in fact, have lacked a kind of aerial threat to set pieces, yeah. and that's one thing that Funes Mori does undeniably provide. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, you know, I, I can't remember um, the last time I saw Argentina, the, the full national team score from a corner. Uh, certainly not with a header from a centre-back coming up. Is it possible that you'd call somebody up purely for their aerial threat in the opposing box rather than... Hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense at all, but it's yeah. I'm trying to think of an argument for Funes Mori being in the team. Well, the scary with Maradona has been called hmm. up because of that, I think, yeah. after that. I don't think he's being called up precisely because he plans to use a battering rank against El Salvador or whoever Just to we're be playing clear. against Just in to be the clear, US. Nor do I, but, uh. <laughs> um, but but maybe this could be one reason why he sees potential in Funes Mori, and I think um, Martino is well aware, like we most of us are, that Argentine football is is a sport of streaks. You have a nice streak and then you're winning every single match and you're champion of the Sudamericana and then you have a bad streak and Arsenal scores three in the first half against you. And if you look at the back four of River and the goal... and Well, the, the goalkeeper, of course, uh, is not the same now, but it's been mostly unchanged from the team that hadn't didn't concede at all in, in the last uh, matches of the Sudamericana and the Torneo Local last year, just a couple months ago. Same names. So... You could say that Martinez is seeing potential in Funes Mori. He sees that he's a, a good defender that's going through a bad moment uh, and that obviously he has an offensive threat as well. So, uh, you know, start sweeping the stakes. We shall see. Mm -hmm. I, um, I happen to think the opposite. I happen to think he's a, a very bad defender. He went through <laughs> a very good sort of period of eight months or so, but uh, we, we'll see. And now moving on to listeners' questions. We have one from Darren Hall. Uh, no, first of all, let's go to the email question, because if I leave it till last, I will forget. We've had an email question from David Ellingham. Don't forget, you can email us questions. Uh, please feel free to do so. You can use the contact form on the Hand of Pod blog, which you will find if you go to handofpod.wordpress.com and then click, uh, I think it's Meet the Team or About or something like that. It's the About page anyway. There's a contact form at the bottom of that. Or you can email them direct to me at sam at astaelgoldsiemtre.com. Uh, David has done just that, and he says, I have recently finished reading Dominic Bliss's autobiography of the great Torino manager, Erno Ergi Erbstein, who, along with his team, was tragically killed in the Superga air disaster. In the, book, book, in the book, Bliss states, River Plate went further than any other club, flying to Italy to play a fundraising friendly match in the aftermath of the crash. It signalled the start of a unique friendship between the two clubs, who even used each other's home colours for their away kits in the decade that followed. And David's question is, has the friendship between River and Torino lasted to this day? Andres, you're the River fan. You tell us. I didn't know even that River and Torino were... Didn't you? No. Okay, I'll, I'll I knew about River and Russia by Yekano, for example. 
Uh, I will answer the question in that case. Uh, the answer to the question is yes. Uh, Rivers away kit or, or change kit. Uh, it's not really right to call them the away kit in Argentina, especially because it tends to be the home team who change in the event of a clash here, uh, due to old traditions. Basically, it's quite a cool little old tradition that I like. Um, but Rivers change kit, uh, as recently as about two or three years ago, was um, uh, maroon uh, in honour of Torino and in honour of the link. Um, and yes, uh, the, the, a lot of uh, Andres might not have been aware of it, and I'm sure there are plenty of other River fans who are not aware of it. But there's also a fairly significant portion of River fans um, who are aware of the, of the link. Whether they actually have Torino as their Italian club is another matter entirely. Obviously, a lot of them don't, but but they're aware of the the link. Um, and yeah, uh, it is something. So yes, the answer to the question is yes, David. And thank you for such an interesting question as well. It's nice to have a bit of history now and again to tell people I might bring a history section in down the pod each week what do we think <laughs> we, we have to say the history too you know, if, if, history if you're up too. for hearing perhaps a weekly five minute discussion of a bit of Argentine footballing history on this podcast once a week then please tweet us and let us know um, uh, twitter.com slash hand the pod or the email address I just mentioned as well feel free to get in touch with us on there uh, and now to twitter where Darren Paul asks us all is now well on planet Racing they're sure to repeat as the champions aren't they this is Argentine football. And it's a very Anything long, it's a year-long championship now. It might only still be a glorified short championship, but it is 30 matches. So. If you watched them yesterday, yes, last night, they are candidates, of course, to win the Copa Libertadores because of that match. <laughs> they are doing good, and we are not sure of how will they continue. Even Copa We haven't mentioned them last night, by the way. They got a 2-0 win away to Sporting Cristal in the Copa Libertadores, uh, which negates the 2-1 victory uh, that Sporting Cristal got over them, also in, in Racing Stadium, uh, the previous week. Sorry, Andres, carry on. No, yes, talking about yesterday match, last night match, uh, they looked solid team with the help of Reboredo, the centre-back of Sporting Cristal, who led the ball there in the box, dead. Oh, it's hilarious. I forgot about that penalty. And, and, funniest and, and, penalty I've ever seen in my yes, life. Yes, and, and this Cotega Nunez went for it as is, if we were a glass of Fornet in the nightclub. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and well, yes, Reboredo finally pushed him to the floor, and, and, and that was the, the beginning of Racing victory last night with Milito scoring that penalty. For, for those who are wondering about this penalty, it was not unlike the penalty that um, Aaron Lennon won for Everton at the weekend, if you're a Premier League watcher, with the exception uh, that it didn't come from any kind of racing attacking play whatsoever. Sporting Cristal were passing it about along their back line, and Nunez nicked in just as there was a, a back pass to the goalkeeper, and somebody panicked and brought him down. It was just under no pressure whatsoever. It was an absolutely ridiculous penalty to concede. Um, but in terms of Cam Racing Challenge for the league title... Well, yeah, I mean, they can challenge for it. Whether they're going to nail on to repeat the... to, to successfully defend it is another matter. I don't think anybody's done that in Argentina since... And we have done this recently, I think... Boca, uh, Falcioni. Boca might have been the last side to do it, yeah. Boca with Falcioni, I think it was 2008. We've got a list here, in fact, of the, all of the champions. Where are they? Uh, you, you have to take into account that Racing is playing the... The Libertadores and the priority for them is the Libertadores. So if they, if they continue on in the Libertadores, they're gonna keep using reserve sides for the uh, uh, for the domestic league, and it's not it's not always gonna be home to Colón. The the last side to successfully defend the title were Santi correctly identified as Boca Juniors in 2005. They won the Apertura, and they then won the 2006 Clausura. Ten years. So that is well nine years ago because. Oh. 
the Klaus Sora was the successful defence in 2006. But it was so, Falcioni, yeah, right? Yeah, it's Falcioni's That right. would have been Falcioni's. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, Falcioni no. was later. Falcioni was after that. This is Vasile. Then. Yes, that yes. sounds right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they lo- then they lost the possibility to win the th- three in a row, you know, yeah. championship with La Volpe. With La Volpe. Yeah, yes. Against Estudiantes. Hispano yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Sclerical has a question about a Boca player. These are tying in very nicely, aren't they? Seeming seamlessly mm-hmm. going from one to another. He says, how highly is Andres Chavez rated? Has an overseas move ever been suggested or will he need to prove himself at Boca first? Uh, Santi kind of answered that one slightly earlier. He said Andres Chavez was a very talented player. Uh, and I kept quiet because I'd already seen that this question was on the way. I don't entirely agree with Santi. I think that Chavez has more pace than ability, let's say. And I, I think that he needs to um, get his head down and, and, and show that there's a bit more to his game at Boca. Certainly, it would not surprise me at all if, if a European club came in for him because he's a Boca Juniors player. He's had some eye-catching performances. He scored some goals, and I'm not saying he's a bad player. Um, so it would surprise me if he doesn't go to Europe at some point. But I haven't heard anything so far. Have either of you? No. No, I haven't heard anything yet. Sorry? We happened to look at Andres there just to see taking a, a swig of Fernet, and it was not yeah. the best timing for an audio-only uh, medium. So apologies, Andres. But have you heard about Andres Chavez maybe going to Europe? Oh, yes, that guy that came... Went to from Banfield to to Boca, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think he will not won't have a, a lot of time in, in in the matches right now because of well of Valdo. Yeah, I think that have prior priority for, uh, ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Then it is uh, uh, well Palacio was injured, so perhaps in this case he will have more opportunities. But I think he has he's a powerful striker with uh, specialities like the the way he scored last night with a long ball and he going to the to the to the goalkeeper and then Did he scored last night. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The last of the no no the fourth set up by Caleri and fourth with the left footed with the inside no, of the left foot. Yeah. Ah. Yes. I had the TV on mute by that point. I was listening to music because it was such a dull game. I think it was similar to for example for example the the. the the goal he scored against his former team Banfield, in which the defender, who I think he was, uh, uh, well, now I now I forgot the name, uh, that he 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 won the ball in the air and then was clear clear to to score against the, the goalkeeper. In this case, the same. It was he was clear to to score against the goalkeeper and he didn't didn't fail. So uh, yes, I think he's he's decent. No, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he's a wonderful striker, but a good substitute for Boca right now. Uh, Phil Carney asks how the hell has Funes Mori got into the Argentina squad, and if you were listening five or ten minutes ago, I think we've answered that one, or at least we've given our answer to it, which is that we don't know either, frankly. Um, Alex Dinoya says, Manquesho getting called up got me wondering, when was the last time an Independiente player got called up to the senior national team? Maradona called up uh, Montenegro. That's some fantastic remembering just off the top mm-hmm. of your head. I, I'm not sure if it was the last, but I cannot. Like the top of my mind. That it was, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, given the form the Independiente have shown since Maradona's managership of the national team. <laughs> um, well done. Yeah. I was just uh, going to use this as the opportunity to say if you do have a question he like that in future, try and get it to us a day or two in advance so that I can Google <laughs> something. He also called up La Pulga Rodriguez. 
he was in Independiente back then? I think he was in Atletico Tucumán. Oh, no, no, Atletico Tucumán, yes. Mm-hmm. Maradona, of course, called up a great deal of players. Um, Over 100. Yes. The last count. Mm-hmm. 109 or something, I think <laughs> I remember saying. Um, Arsenal players as well. So, yes. yeah. I think yes. most of the teams in the Primera had a run for the uh, at least a, uh, a player in the national team. So Yeah, you'd have a harder time picking out a side who didn't. <laughs> who didn't get any, yeah. Uh, Liam Kelly asks, any thoughts on Santiago Silva to Arsenal? We've given them already, hopefully. Um, and Philip Briggs says, what do Argentines consider Angel Di Maria's best position to be? Because Louis van Gaal doesn't appear to know. I'm not Argentine, so I'm going to throw this open to the floor because the other two people with me are Argentine. What is Angel Di Maria's best position? Uh, I think he should play as a winger on the left side. He should be, be given as little defensive duties as possible and just be given space to roam, in my opinion. I, I know it doesn't fit with every possible, or with most possible uh, <laughs> team mm-hmm. strategies, but I think that's that's what uh, he, he was born to do, and I think you should just let it be. Uh, yes, I agree. I, I think that at this time he's well. Uh, condition the condition for him is to be at ease, to be comfortable, which didn't happen when he was at Real Madrid and now at Manchester United. He's like suffering. Uh, of, of, I know why, but uh, he well he suffered a robbery and he yeah. had a, a stupid sent off and he's manager. having a hard time with English. Yes, also, so perhaps that has to do with his performance right now, but talking about the position in the, in the, in the pitch, I think, like Santi is uh, like a wing in, in, the, in the left. and uh. I'm going to pitch in anyway because uh, I'm a Manchester United fan and I've not <laughs> seen him as much as either of you two have. I think I'm by adoption. Um, and, well, let's not go that far. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to say I, I think that something very close to his best position would be the role that he played in last year's World Cup yeah. so kind of in the midfield three if you're going to have a midfield of three but as a central midfielder who's given the licence as soon as he get on the ball to make runs beyond the forwards and, and to give them the options um, and certainly not to play him as, as Van Gaal did a few weeks ago up front um, to try and use his pace because I think he's got more pace and ends up running out to pitch if you do that to him um, those are all of the questions. So the next music that you hear is going to be Mystic Sam's theme music. And what you will hear after that are Mystic Sam's predictions for the weekend ahead. So don't go away. Here we go. We begin the round with Newell's Old Boys versus Kilmes, and I think that's going to be a draw. Lanús versus Gimnasia La Plata. Um, Fernando Monetti taking on his old club, and he's made a big difference to. Both, well, he's not made too much of a difference to Lanús' defence because they had a very good goalkeeper before, but his absence has made a big difference to Gimnasia's defence. And because of that, partly I think that Lanús are going to get the victory. Colón de Santa Fe versus Tigre, I think, will be a draw. Uh, Vélez Sarsfield versus Belgrano. I'm going for Belgrano to get an away win in Liniers. Independiente versus Arsenal de Sarandí. Independiente to win, but it's Independiente and they can't defend to save their lives, so who knows. Uh, especially with Santiago Silva now in Arsenal's team. Uh, Huracan versus Argentinos Juniors I think will be a draw. Sarmiento de Junín versus Crucero del Norte I think has to be a home victory. Atletico de Sarmiento, by the way, one of the clubs I was thinking of when I was talking about some sides having really unfortunate opening few matches. 
um, earlier. And Let's go to Rafaela versus Rosario Central. Uh, well, that's bottom against top, and bottom in this case means 30th. So I can only see that being a central victory. Estudiantes versus Banfield. Estudiantes are playing at the moment, but in spite of that, I think they can get a win. Banfield are playing, by the way, um, in about an hour in the Copa Argentina against Sol de America. Which is not the Paraguayan thing. No, apparently not. Uh, in the Copa Argentina. It's uh, not the famous. It's yes. not the famous Sol de America of Paraguay. It's, it's the less famous brother of Formosa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are they a Formosa inside? They must be, must they? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're not going to make them travel all the way. Uh, well, I think, if you want, I can look it up. Please do, yeah, and tell us at the end of the predictions. Uh, Defensive Justicia versus Racing, I think, is going to be a Racing victory. River Plate versus Godoy Cruz, I'm losing my faith a bit in River, and I'm going to go for a draw uh, this weekend. San Martin versus Boca Juniors, I think, will be a Boca win. Nueva Chicago versus San Lorenzo has to be a San Lorenzo win. They've got far more about them than Chicago. Aldo Civi versus Union de Santa Fe. I think it's going to be an Union win. And Tempele versus Olimpo is not for the first time. A match involving Olimpo looks like being potentially the worst of the weekend. But I think Tempele are going to win it. And Club Sol de America are indeed from Formosa. Well done, Santi. Um, any strong agreements or disagreements with any of those predictions? I think you also are probably win their match. Their whole match against... Who was it against? The first one? I remember uh, listening to that one and saying, nah, they're gonna win it. And you said it was going to be a draw. Neil's on, boys, at home. Yeah. God. Rather than scrolling all the way back up that far, I'm just gonna click on the next round of matches here and we'll see that a bit quicker. Hopefully. Hurry up and load. Neil's on, boys, are at home to kill this. Yeah. I can see them. Kill this have looked better than, better than they did last year for me. Yeah. It's not saying much. Something about them. No, no, it's it's saying very little indeed. But they've uh, they've, they've played some decent results. Yeah, um, I, I think um, Newells are picking up their form, and the, the, this could be a match for them to you know continue their um, their good form. And yes. I think it's there's also a lot of pressure on them because Rosario Central are doing so well, mm. which wouldn't normally be the case. I mean, this could be. Uh, Average to good campaign for Newell's, but since Newell uh, Central is doing so well, the, the pressure is up. Um, but I still think they're gonna get a home. Interesting. We'll see. Join us again next week to find out um, whether Santi is right or not, essentially. Um, Santi, before you go, you wanted to just say something very quickly about the Bay Nacional. Do you, do you have? Do you think we can do a very quick roundup now, or shall um, we leave it until next time? You're yeah, I, I mean, uh, the B Nacional is um, it's started in the same time as the Primera. There's uh, five fechas um, have passed, and Fe it's a fecha being round of matches. being round of matches, of course, and it's a, it's a really tight competition, um, similar to what we were used to the Primera being a couple of years ago, where you have like three teams in the top with nine points and you have five teams on second with eight and then you have seven teams with, you know, and it goes on and on. So it's it's a really tight competition and what's interesting is that... God, yeah, there are two, <laughs> two points separate first from 13th. <laughs> in a 20-team uh, division, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's really tight. And what's interesting about the, the Venacional is that it's really... 
a very national as uh, it was dreamed because it's a really uh, interior bound B Nacional. 15 out of the 20 teams are in the are from the interior. Uh, only five teams are from Buenos Aires or the uh, Gran Buenos Aires, Greater Buenos Aires area. And you have some really, really rare and um, um, teams that even the most, uh, the biggest ascenso fans between us had never even heard of, such as Juventud Unida de Gualeguaychú or Gimnasia de Mendoza Unión de Mar del Plata, Unión de Mar del Plata de San Luis. Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero there's five or six teams that most of us had never even heard of de San Luis we are Fabian Iguara was going to play but he had has a problem health problem and won't be able <laughs> amongst other yes. problems um, Los Andes is uh, is having a decent campaign uh, as well as um, Giants Gimnasia de Jujuy and Atlético Tucumán but as I said, it's really tight and it's really too early to, to see any trends. Where are Los Andes from? Los Andes are from Buenos Aires, from the Lomas de Zamora in the southern part of Buenos Aires. Also, I thought I knew they were from somewhere in Greater Buenos Aires, but mm -hmm. I wasn't 100% sure. Um, and the other sides from Greater Buenos Aires in this Primero then for, for the benefit of not Argentines, because I've been going through and trying to pick out the fifth. Yeah, you have Ferro. Los Andes, Ferro, Chacarita. And Villa Dalmine from Campana. Ah, uh, Michel Darmino is the other. Thank you very much. Uh, all boys record, by the way, is they're by far the most consistent side in the Bay Nacional so far, um, if nothing else. But that's not particularly impressive. They have played five, they've won none, drawn five, and <laughs> lost none. Um, scored four, conceded four. So, well done to all boys uh, for being the, the very hallmark of consistency. But so far, it's only got them 17th place. So we shall see whether they rise up the table to get win promotion. One of only two promotion spots, of course, from this division at the end of the year. Um, Isn't it strange thing that, of, of course, it is called Primera B Nacional, so you have to have teams around the, the country, all around the country, but uh, Primera División means a lot of teams from uh, Buenos Aires, Greater Buenos Aires, with more money and having to travel less than the Primera B Nacional teams that are, with, of course, have a budget much lower budget and have to travel more. And of course, we yeah. kind of made this point in the early week of the season as well. I think in our first episode of the year when Gustavo was here, he pointed out the same thing that Santi has done, which is that the Bay Nacional is yeah. as federal as the Primera was supposed to be. Because yeah. the whole mm -hmm. reason that the Primera was expanded to 30 teams was to make the Primera into a truly nationwide league without you know having to just help out the interior clubs economically or whatever and help them to develop, just artificially promote them into a Primera they don't deserve to be in. Um, and it turns out that all that resulted from that was that loads of Buenos Aires teams got promoted. Mm. Um, and it's the second division that, that becomes the truly nationwide one. In spite of which, nobody's going to be paying any attention to the second division, apart from those people who've got teams in the lower divisions, yeah. because there are 15 games to watch just in the Primera, mm. so it's all, all exhausting enough just to do that. Are, are the Bay Nacional games on Football Paratolas again this year? Um, yeah, yeah, they're on Deporte B. Um, they're showing at least um, four out of the eleven matches in the B Nacional, uh, so it's not too bad. They're, they're wow. showing some of them uh, in this uh, secondary network that they have going on called Deporte B. And, um, and yeah, of course, last last season, you, you know how under the B Nacional you have these two structures: one for the teams from Buenos Aires and one for the teams from the interior. And the part from Buenos Aires had only three promotions, whereas the part from the interior had seven. Mm. So between that 
and most Buenos Aires team from the B Nacional getting promoted to Primera, you're left with 15 teams from the interior. And it's, as, as you said, Andres, it's going to be really expensive for, say, Atletico Paraná from Entre Rios to travel to Jujuy and um, whatever else they, they, they need to travel. Puerto Madryn in the south, Jujuy in the north, and then uh, yes. the rest. It's going to be it's going to be quite hard for them. If you went to San Luis, going to the other point of the the other uh, way of the country with Madryn, mm -hmm. Puerto Madryn. Is yeah, yeah, Jujuy to Madryn. It's. Uh, It's a really long, that's a really long away match. It's uh, by, by bus, that's more than 40 hours. So just to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. Presumably the AFL are going to be helping some of these clubs out with uh, transport costs. They do for the Copa Argentina, for instance, which mm -hmm. is part, well, in fact, not the AFL, but the, it's set up by a travel company. The Copa Argentina is not run by AFA. Um But who really knows in this country? Yeah, you never do <laughs> um, on that note ladies and gents we will leave you for another week we will join you again next week to let you know how River Plate get on at home to Juan Aurich on Thursday night to let you know how the Estudiantes Libertad game that we're currently watching finishes it's nil-nil at the moment with 16 minutes to go to let you know how San Lorenzo do San later tonight against Sao Paulo Sao Paulo thank you um, in the, the Copa Libertadores in their group And the other, the Copa Argentina games, there's uh, Banfield are playing the team we mentioned earlier. Sol de América. Sol de América. And uh, Temperley apparently are playing Patronato tomorrow night. Tomorrow afternoon at five o'clock, which I did not know until I looked up the Banfield kickoff time. Um, I think that's it. I think that covers everything. So, ladies and gentlemen, please join us again next week. Thank you very much for listening again. And thank you, as ever, to our sponsors. Uh, the Argentina Independent, who provide wonderful uh, English language news and current affairs, business and also cultural articles from Argentina and across Latin America. You can read them for free of charge, for free of charge, you can read them free of charge um, on argentinaindependent.com. Please do so and thank them very much for supporting us. And for now it is thank you and goodbye from Santiago. Goodbye everyone. And enjoy married life until we see you again. Thank, uh, you. thank you and goodbye from Andres. Goodbye. And thank you and goodbye from me. Goodbye.